This is our third lesson that we have entitled The Mystery of the Church, Its Inclusion and Conclusion, Part 1. And the reason we want to talk about the church is because we've been dealing with Daniel's 70 weeks. That is the hub of Bible prophecy. That is the hub of biblical time. And as we said last week, that there are only 69 weeks that have been fulfilled. There was going to be one week until the city was rebuilt and the walls in troublous times. And that was fulfilled by Nehemiah. And from the time that Artaxerxes gave the edict to the time it was completed was 49 years or one week. After that, there were an additional 483 years, excuse me, um, 476 years until Christ came. And we saw that based on metatonic lunar cycles, it happened to fulfill completely on Palm Sunday, A.D. 32. So from the time Artaxerxes gave his edict in the second moon of Nisan, the second month, the Hebrew month of Nisan, till the time Jesus Christ came into uh, Jerusalem was exactly 483 years and it landed on Palm Sunday. And that's critical because Palm Sunday is the only time Jesus ever presented himself as a political figure. He marched into Jerusalem as their king. The only time he ever claimed to be the political figure. And so that's very critical. But that, and that's what the prophecy says in Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, that after 69 weeks, he will be cut off. The Messiah, the prince, will be cut off, but not for himself. And that happened. And then, it's, then the prophecy in Daniel says, and then the prince of the people that shall come, speaking of the Antichrist, will come in and destroy the city. Well, that hasn't really happened. The Antichrist has not risen to power yet. So what we're dealing with is the 69th week has been fulfilled. The 70th week is still out there in the future. And yet four, more than 490 years have come to pass. So we've got to talk about the church because it was included or inserted between the 69th week and the 70th week of prophecy. That's why we're going to talk about it. That's why we call it the mystery of the church. How come Daniel didn't see it? How come nobody saw it? Well, we understand it's because it was a mystery. This is how these 70 weeks are biblical. They're accurate, but they have not been fulfilled yet, though we have way past 490 years of Jewish time. We concluded last week by also saying you have to understand how this whole thing works with God's timetables and what, what theologians and eschatologists call Jewish time and church time. So that when Jesus Christ was cut off, Jewish time was put on pause. It's like a stopwatch. And then the church age started. And now the church age has been running for over 2,000 years. And when the church is raptured, that time clock will stop. And the Lord will hit start on Jewish time again. That's why in the Revelation chapter 3, it's the last time you hear the church mentioned because it gets raptured out in chapter 4 verse 1. And from that point forward, you hear no more mention of the church, but everything is in Jewish terms. The Lamb and the elders, and it talks about Jerusalem and the new Jerusalem and the Antichrist, and it talks about Michael. Michael the archangel, Daniel prophecy says, Daniel... Uh, was told that Michael is the angel that fights for Israel. If you ever hear anybody talk about ain't Michael talking to them, they're lying. Amen. Michael is assigned only to Israel. Michael is the prince that takes care of Israel. And Michael comes back into play in the last part of Revelation. He's never seen so much in the New Testament except for Jude talking about when he contended with Satan for the body of Moses because Michael is the angel assigned to the nation of Israel. Perhaps there's one assigned to the nation of America. I don't know. But America is not God's promised people like Israel is. We're just another people. We're one of thousands of nations. And they rise and fall. And on top of that, our nation's only 200 years old. We're a baby nation. And we may fall one day or it doesn't matter. God will take care of us. But we're, we're just a blip on the radar. There's not many nations 
newer than us. There's a handful, but not many. We're kind of the new kid on the block, so we're arrogant to think we're going to be involved somehow in end times prophecy. That's what some people think, or some people think we are in the Bible. I don't think we are, except just as the church. It's like saying Bolivia has a role in end time Bible prophecy. Says who? Bolivians? <laughs> Brazil has a critical role in end time history. Well, they're part of the church, yeah, but other than that, you're not going to find Brazil. They're just a nation, just like we are. Everything in Bible prophecy revolves around Israel or the church, and the church is made up of everybody who's born again. So this lesson is to cover the inclusion of the church and how the 69th week stopped when Messiah the Prince, Jesus, was cut off. The church was included, but it was a mystery. And once the church is taken out in the rapture, everything will resort back to Jewish times, and God will deal with the earth through Israel once again. Except this time there'll be 144,000 witnesses preaching Jesus. And there'll be two witnesses that are Jewish preaching Jesus. And everything will revolve around Israel yet again. So let's look at this again. Uh, let's look at part one. We have learned God reveals himself and works his will through dispensations. The study of end times really focuses on three dispensations. Law, the church or grace, and the millennial reign. Let us look a little closer at the church age to see how it ties into Daniel's 70 weeks. Now, let me remind you again, if you have any questions, write them down. I don't know if we'll have time to cover them in this class, because honestly, you know how questions are in this church. One starts another, starts another, starts another, and I have two and a half pages of curriculum I've got to get through. This, this lesson is a little easy to understand. We're going to show you that the church was a mystery and it was hidden. But if you don't understand anything, write Write your questions down. I cover stuff that's not on our curriculum because I'm studying a lot of stuff that I haven't included in the curriculum. And so if you have a question, write it down. Maybe if you want to email it to me or, or text it to me, maybe we can work it into another lesson because I'm still writing these lessons as we're teaching them. So let's look at this thing, the dispensation of mystery. We're going to look at the church age. Theologians refer to the church age as the dispensation of grace or the dispensation of mystery. We are currently in this dispensation. It is referred to as the dispensation of grace because God reveals himself to us and deals with us through grace. And John 1.17 says, Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Under the dispensation of law, God revealed himself and dealt with mankind through the Mosaic law. And honestly, if you study the Old Testament, you'll find that even though it was Moses' time, he raised up evangelists like Jonah to go tell pagans about Yahweh the living God. And they were supposed to go. We know that there was Ethiopians that became proselyte Jews and God was dealing with the world through Israel. It wasn't quite the scope like it is now as far as evangelism. And many theologians even believe after the rapture, more evangelism will happen in those seven years than have ever happened in the church age. That's what a lot of theologians believe. Because the revelation says John and the elders saw a multitude of every nation, tongue, and creed that no man could number. And the elder asked John, who are these? And John says, sir, you know. And the elder says, these be the saints that came through the tribulation. He doesn't call them the church. Church was already gone. This is a whole group of new believers that got born again during the seven years of the tribulation. And yet no man can number them. And so a lot of theologians believe, especially of the 144,000 witnesses that we'll cover in a couple weeks, God willing, uh, those guys are Jews, 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes, and that they will be such super evangelists and ministers, they will do a greater work than the church has ever done. 
And I, I like that belief. And again, we, when we talk about this stuff, we have to use vagueness because this stuff isn't doctrine we can put our foot down on. It's in the future tense. But if you think of these 144,000 witnesses that God will raise up to evangelize during the tribulation, one great theologian said he considers all of them, they would have to be on par with the Apostle Paul. So can you imagine 144,000 Apostle Pauls being unleashed? Right now in America, there's only about 320,000 congregations. So that means about 320,000 pastors in America. Of those 320,000 pastors, how many do you think are strong? How many churches do you think are strong churches? How many of those 320,000 congregations are Unitarian, seeker-friendly, Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterian, and I, I don't mean to pick on those denominations, but those traditionally are not strong denominations. I was talking with somebody about this. I said, maybe we'll take a tenth of those churches are strong. So 30,000 strong pastors in America. Maybe, maybe. Think of 144,000 Apostle Pauls. <laughs> I think, and I, as, I like what he said. Actually, it's Tim LaHaye's quote. He says, I think more evangelism will be done during the tribulation than the church has ever seen. Because you unleash 144,000 Pauls or Johns, holy cow. What did Paul do in 25 years? Tremendous. And he had to lay the foundation. The foundation's been laid for 2,000 years. These 144,000 be able to pick it up and run with it. Go, baby, go. And they'll be able to go and do things we've not been able to do yet. And thus the scripture will be fulfilled. And this gospel shall be preached unto every creature. And then the end shall come. And so that's kind of an encouraging thing, especially someone like me or maybe you're like me. You want to evangelize and tell everybody that you can. And it's exhausting and sometimes discouraging. I can't do it all. You don't have to do it all. Whatever we don't get done, the 144,000 will come along and pick up and they'll go into all the four corners of the earth. So that's an encouraging thing. So we don't have to worry about the church doing all of it. Because there is going to be stuff to be done after we're gone. It would be almost uh, arrogant to think the church is the end all. And once we're gone, God's done with mankind. No, there'll be another dispensation and he'll deal with them in a unique way. And there'll be after that, there'll be the millennial reign and he'll deal with them in a different way. And so one thing about every dispensation and those believers in those dispensations, they each have a very unique relationship with God. Moses had a relationship with God we'll never have. But we have a relationship with God Moses doesn't know. Same with Enoch. Same with Elijah. Same with the 12 apostles of the Lamb. They had a beautiful relationship with Jesus. We don't know, but we have one they don't know. And so we each have a unique walk with our God. He's an infinite God. He has unique. Don't don't you as parents have unique walks with each of your kids? And you relate to each of them differently? And they're born in the same household in the same 10-year time period? How much more when you're talking 6,000 years of mankind history and dispensations of God's self-revelation of himself to man? So that's the neat thing about our God. Nobody's exclusive. Only Jesus is exclusive. The rest of us, we're just happy to get in when we can. And don't forget, we've been grafted in. And the Lord, uh, he broke off the Jews that we might be grafted in. And if we disobey or get goofy, he might break us off and graft them back in. So I just say, Lord, I'm just put me. I don't care where you put me. Just let me stay in the vine and let me bear some fruit. 
Amen. Under the dispensation of law, God revealed himself and dealt with mankind through the Mosaic law. Daniel's 70 weeks, equaling 490 years, have not come to pass because the church was inserted after Jesus was crucified. Messiah shall be cut off, Daniel 26. And, the da- and uh, the Daniel- Daniel's last week was put on hold. The church in its reign was a mystery hidden from all but God. The object or the emphasis of this lesson is to show you that the church was hidden from everybody. That helps us to understand why that 70th week has not been fulfilled. That's, and that's why we know the prophecy is still true. Because folks would argue, well, 490 years have come and gone since Nehemiah rebuilt the wall. Yep. Well, how come it hasn't come to pass yet? Because of this little thing called the church that has been blowing and going for 2,000 years. That's why the 70th, year has not, or 70th week hasn't been fulfilled. But I'm going to show you with these scriptures that this church was a total mystery and nobody but nobody but nobody saw it coming. Even the prophets who prophesied about it, they didn't have a clue what they were saying. I can, I'm not a prophet, but I do get under the Spirit of God from service to service, and I prophesy, and many times I don't even have a, I don't remember what I prophesied. Because the Spirit of God just comes upon you. And Ginger will take them and type them up and I'll read them out and I'll say, I said that? Wow. I kind of, wow. Or even like a couple weeks ago, we had a, a prophecy of tongues and interpretations and it all rhymed. And I went back and read it the other day. I thought, <laughs> that's the Holy Ghost because there's no way you can rhyme two pages worth of writing spontaneously. That's got to be the Spirit of God. But yeah, I don't remember much of what I said at all. And so even the prophets who prophesied didn't have an understanding of what they were saying. So let's look at some verses here. Ephesians 3, 9 says, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. I want you to notice that most of these verses are going to talk about the mystery. The fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. There is a fellowship with God that was called a mystery. And that type of fellowship, that level of fellowship was hidden in God. Now, what we'll see in one of these verses is that, that, that fellowship, which is unique to us, had never before existed. And that fellowship was Christ in us, the hope of glory. We are the first set of human beings that God has ever indwelt. That is the fellowship of the mystery. Nobody would have ever believed that God would come and dwell in man. Not when they saw God killing man left and right for goofy sins. And, and then all of a sudden God says, but I'm going to move into you. You are? How is that possible? Because when we breathe wrong, we drop dead. But that was the fellowship of the mystery, and it was hidden in God. The fellowship of the mystery is speaking of the church age. This is the age when we have fellowship with God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. This opportunity and this dispensation were hidden from everyone from the beginning of the world. Nobody would have ever believed at Jericho when God destroyed a whole group of people that one day God would move in to the same type of people. Nobody would have ever believed uh, after Sodom and Gomorrah that God would one day save homosexuals and dwell in them. Nobody would have believed that. How does this holy, mighty God whose holiness destroys nations, how could it ever dwell within sinful flesh and not kill it? Because there was a coming Christ that nobody could fully understand. I think we get a little foolish to think we can understand God with all of our mind. You don't even understand you with all of your mind. And so that's, that's one of the problems with prophecy is trying to fully understand what he's signifying when you don't even understand everything your mouth is signifying when you communicate it. 
But we have to walk the thing out by faith. Look at this next verse, three verses. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Now pause there. See, even the prophets of old were prophesying by the Spirit of Christ. They couldn't even figure out what was going on. They couldn't understand what period of time the Spirit was signifying. They were trying to look into it. They have inquired and searched diligently of that salvation. They couldn't see it. They couldn't see into the church age. They just kept prophesying about this coming Messiah. And it's evident that even even when Jesus came, they had a misconception. They didn't understand what was required. All those folks believed he was the Christ, believed he was the Messiah. They followed him, but they didn't, he didn't live up to their expectations and their preconceived notions. And so they missed it because what he was doing was bigger than just being a little king over a little empire for a little season. He was coming to redeem all of mankind. And that's the danger of trying to wrap your mind around stuff. And that is one of the dangers we have to be careful of in understanding end time events. What does stuff mean? Quite honestly, as I study all these books and all these authors who have studied this stuff for 150 years, probably combined two or 300 years, I almost wonder, is there anything else out there hidden that we don't know about? I mean, God's proven he's one to pull the wool over us and just say, trust me. Is there something else going to happen we don't know about? I mean, possibly, I don't know. I'm not a prophet, I'm not an Elijah, so I'm not prophesying, trying to search in. Maybe it will unfold, but if God will insert a church in between Jesus being cut off and Daniel's 70th week, what might happen after we're raptured? Might there be something inserted? I don't know. These are just things you have to consider. This is why we have to kind of take this topic a little loosey. You know, the one guy I'm corresponding with, he's a mid-trib rapturist. He believes we're going to go through the tribulation. I'm not even going to argue with him because I don't care. I like the work he's doing, like the research and all the NASA data he's researched to prove a lot of stuff. I don't care. I'm not even going to tell him I'm a pre-trib rapturist because it doesn't matter. (laughs) Tony Marable used to say, it's all pan theology. It'll all just pan out. (laughs) And that's the best way you can describe it. Until then, we just walk by faith and love Jesus and enjoy life and hang out with our kids and go to church and win the loss and take a vacation and buy a pair of shoes and just do what we do. And how it pans out is how it pans out. It's the way God wants it. We're just trying to get a pretty good understanding. So I will be the most dogmatic about what has already come to pass because I can prove it book, chapter, verse. Future tense, we'll get a little looser and say, yeah, you know, this is what I believe. This is what a lot of the authors believe. And maybe you believe this. If not, who cares? It's not going to affect your salvation. So let's continue here. When it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things, which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. So this is a verse that lets us know angels don't understand salvation. Now we said last week, That under the Old Testament, angels did a lot of teaching. Angels would appear and give a lot of revelation to prophets. In fact, many times, Zechariah, Daniel, Jeremiah, I think maybe even Ezekiel, the man of God would have a vision and he would ask the angel what it means. Well, you know why he had to do that? Because he didn't have the Holy Ghost like we do. 
And the angel would say, you don't know? And he'd say, no, sir. No, my Lord. Lowercase l for Lord. And the angel would teach him what he was seeing. Under the New Testament, we do not see that at all. Even the angels long to look into the salvation. They don't understand how God could live within a being because they'd never seen it before. And it lets us know God hid it from even the angels. Even though the angels are the ones that heralded the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. They were the ones preaching Jesus to the, to the shepherds and to the wise men and to Joseph and Mary and gave them direction to navigate the dictators of their time and when to come back. And yet they didn't have a clue what they were even helping in. And this verse tells us here, these things the angels desire to look into. Now, we know from Revelation chapter 14, I think verse 6, that in the tribulation time, angels will preach the gospel because it says, And behold, I saw an angel in the midst of the people being given the gospel of the kingdom, preaching it to everyone, preaching it. So angels will also apparently preach the gospel in the New Testament in the tribulation. But I would say it's because they've studied it for 2,000 years. That might also be a lesson we could take with some of you preachers. Some of you preachers want to study the Bible for a year and then go into full-time ministry. Angels are going to have to study for 2,000 years before they get to go into the ministry. Jesus prepped 30 years for three years of ministry. And so what this passage is telling us is that these prophets prophesied, but they didn't have a clue what they were seeing or saying. And they were trying to figure out what time it signified. And Peter says it signifies us in this salvation that we now have. So what I'm showing you is how the church was a total mystery and hidden from everybody. This age is also called the dispensation of mystery because it exists. uh, Its existence was a mystery to the Old Testament believers and prophets. They could not see the church age coming. Not even the angels knew it was coming. In the Old Testament... Angels often taught men, Judges, Daniel, Zechariah. They are not able to do so in the New Testament due to their ignorance of the subject of salvation. It was Paul that was given the gospel. It was Paul. It was not angels. Paul said, my gospel. Several times he said, my gospel. And it wasn't an arrogant thing. He's the one that got the revelation. James didn't even have a revelation of the church. And his epistle, James' epistle, is the first epistle ever written, written in about, I think, 45 or 48 A.D. There's not one reference to the church, the Greek word ekklesia. He does mention synagogue. Not even James, the first pastor in Jerusalem, had a revelation of the church. It was not revealed until Paul got born again as one out of time. The Greek says as one that has been aborted or premature. And so Paul was given the gospel of the, of the church and the gospel of grace. The angels have not been given it. So that's why you've got to be careful with false prophets and deceiving prophets. When they start hanging out with angels a lot, beware. A lot of great men of God have failed. Uh, uh, William Branham failed in the 50s and 60s because he gave over to angels. And angels were teaching him what the revelation meant. One of William Branham's prophecies and revelations that destroyed him was that he claimed that the angels appeared to him and taught him what the seven thunders in the revelation meant. And even Brother Hagin had to go to William Branham through Gordon Lindsay and say, repent or it's going to cost you your life. And William Branham would never repent. We don't listen to angels. We listen to the gospel preacher. We listen to the word of God. We listen to the Holy Ghost. And it's a whole study in and of itself. I've got a few notes here. In the church age, angels direct. They give you direction. Go here, go there. We see that in Acts 8 and Acts 10. They deliver. We could say they preserve you. They can save you from hurt and harm. You see that in Acts 5 and 12. They get people out of jail. 
Uh, they serve. I like that one. Matthew 4.11 says, And the angels came and ministered unto Jesus. And I believe they still do that to us. They minister life to us. They minister strength to us. They smite. I like that one. Angels are still in the killing business. They are probably the ultimate assassin. <laughs> and in Acts 12, they smote Herod because he would not give God the glory. I really wonder how many folks dropped dead and it was really the angel of the Lord just going, shop. <laughs> Judo chop right on the head. And they comfort. Angel showed up in Acts 27 when Paul was on the ship and it was about to sink. And the angel said, fear not. That's a comfort. But you don't see in the New Testament angels teaching anything or preaching anyone. And even Paul had to give the warning. Except we or an angel or another gospel preach anything unto you, let them be a curse. He said, basically saying, don't listen to me if I preach something different. Don't, definitely don't listen to an angel if he comes preaching. And another epistle, no. Any other gospel, no. Let it be accursed. Angels do not preach in this dispensation because it was hidden from even them. They did not have a clue. You have to have the Holy Ghost in you to understand this thing. Under the old covenant, you just had the law. You just did what it said. And that made you holy. Didn't make you righteous. It made you holy. Under this dispensation, you've got to have the Holy Ghost talking to you and you've got to have the Holy Ghost speaking to you and you've got to have the Holy Ghost drawing you and revealing things to you. And as far as I can tell from the scriptures, the angels don't have the Holy Ghost. Do you see any scriptures that say in, the angels were indwelt by the Holy Ghost? I, I don't see. They have the anointing on them, but they're not full of the Holy Ghost. Colossians 1, 27. Where I am made as minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations. That says it pretty clearly right there. But now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Nothing in the Old Testament ever said the Messiah would live in you. That's what they didn't get. Nothing ever said, when the Messiah comes, he will live in you. Paul had to come along and teach that and say, we're the temple. He dwells in us. Nobody knew that. This verse very clearly says, this thing's been hidden. This is a mystery hidden from the ages past and from people in the past. And this mystery is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And the cool thing is, he's revealed it to the Gentiles because the Jews didn't want it. The Jews, over the 400 years from uh, the end of Malachi to Jesus came, they had developed their own preconceived notion of what Jesus was going to be like. That's why we have to be very careful about what we think the end times are going to be like, that we walk every day by faith and learn to be led by the Holy Ghost because we can really get goofy thinking it's going to be this way or it's going to be that way. What we're even seeing right now in the church and among the great men of God, I talked to Dr. Barclay a lot about it, and, and some others, who well, I was talking to Pastor Quoquo about it, men I really esteem. I said, because even back in the 90s, and those of you that were here in the 90s and ran in our circles in the 90s, we heard it prophesied there'd be a great worldwide revival right before the rapture. And the men of God that I run with now say, I don't see it. I don't see it in the word. I don't see it happening. I see a great falling away. Pastor Quoquo teaches that, believes that very firmly. And it kind of discouraged me. He said, brother, I see it in Nigeria. We're losing saints in Nigeria. And as I've shared with you guys, even Nigeria has seen the seeker-friendly bug come in and bite them to where now the Nigerians are having churches with blue jeans and, and, and American-style music. And since when do Nigerians wear blue jeans to church? 
and listen to American style music. It's not them. It's been borrowed from us. It might be. I don't think it is, but we could say we are the whore of Babylon, America, because we have exported this whoredom everywhere, and we've weakened churches around the world through our seeker-friendly junk. And Dr. Barclay is of the firm conviction, whether you agree or not, that the seeker-friendly movement and what that's going to give place to is the great falling away because you've got Christians who no longer have a love for Jesus, but they still love the building. And they still love the feeling of being part of something, but what they're part of isn't even truth or health or happiness or joy. It, it is a falling away. It is a departing of the faith. All in the name of Hollywood. All in the name of drawing numbers. And so uh, my point is, 20 years ago when I was in this church as a college kid, we saw this great revival. We kept waiting like every week. We, it's going to start tomorrow. Gonna, oh, there's one down in Brownsville. Oh, it's going to contagious be everywhere. And everybody's getting saved. And there'll be five people left to turn the lights on in the rapture. And we're seeing the opposite of that. We're seeing people leave the church faster than they're coming in. And we're seeing the fastest growing churches in our nation are the weakest and the most heretical and the most blasphemous, the most dressed down, the most irreverential. And so even what we thought we saw 15 years ago now in 2012 is not accurate. Now, Dr. Barr, I was just talking to him here when he was with us. He said, I see a revival, but not a, a one that has been prophesied. He said, I see a revival of those that are hungry for God, and I see a remnant. And he said, I personally believe from this day forward we'll have two churches running. Those that are serious about God of every denomination and those that just play God. And he said, and there's no reversing this thing. And so I, I tend to believe that. Now, it may swing around a little bit uh, in the next 20 years, and we kind of reverse course again. That's what's so hard to predict the future unless the Spirit of God signifies. And even then, as these verses say, you're not going to fully understand what he's signifying. E even three and a half years ago, we prophesied songs, songs, and new songs. I had no idea that meant we'd get over 100 Holy Ghost songs that would last 15 and 30 minutes apiece. You just prophesying songs, songs, and new songs because that's what the Spirit of the Lord said. And then you walk it out and you see what the Lord says. And so what we want to do is we walk with Jesus every day. We look for his return every day. We stay in the scriptures every day. We can't go wrong because the future is still a bit of a mystery. There's only a few things we can bank on. He's coming back and Satan loses. The end. <laughs> that's it. It's pretty simple. This mystery of the church age revolves around the very fact we not only get to fellowship with God, he actually lives in us. Enoch fellowship with God, but God didn't live in him. Adam fellowship with God, but God didn't live in him. David fellowship with God, but God didn't live with him. We fellowship with God and God lives in us. That's the mystery. The church age is made unique by the indwelling of God and his believers. No other generations had it but ours. The church age. No previous age or generation could see the church age coming. Look at Acts 1, 6, and 7. When they therefore were come together, this is right before Jesus goes to heaven, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Now look at this. Jesus died on the cross. They didn't believe that. He was raised from the dead. They didn't believe that. And now he's getting ready to go, and they still don't get a clue about what's about to happen because it was still hidden from them. They have the Holy Ghost. He breathed on them in John 20, 21. They still don't have a clue what's happening. And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. I think that applies to us still. It's not for us to know the times or the seasons that the Lord has put in his power. If Jesus told that to the 12 apostles of the Lamb, I don't think we're any better than them. 
So that's even why they said no man knows the day nor the hour. It'll come as a thief in the night. But you're not children of the night, therefore watch so it doesn't take you unaware. But you, even Jesus doesn't know. See, he said the Father's put it in his power. The Father's not put the time or the season in Jesus' power. Look at that verse again. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. If Jesus knew the time or the season, Jesus would tell the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost would tell the church. But Jesus says, I don't even have the power. It's not in my authority. It's not in my power. The Father has it. That's why Jesus can't tell us because he doesn't know. He said, no man knows the hour but the Father. And that's why we can't know for certain. Because not even Jesus knows. Pastor Vaughn's, one of his favorite songs was Only the Redeemed. And he would always say, when the Father reaches over to touch the Son on the shoulder and say, go get my children, bring them home again, or however the verse goes. That, that's a, a beautiful picture in a song that not even Jesus knows when he's coming back for us. Because if he did, he might slip and tell the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost might slip and tell us. And then, you know what, we probably wouldn't do anything. <laughs> but because we don't know, we get to live by faith every day. And enjoy things, never really knowing when he's coming. But that's why Jesus said, when the sun returns, will he find faith in the earth? That's why there's so many parables about being watchful, be ready, labor. Uh, Blessed is the servant whose master shall find him so doing, for he shall make him lord of all of his possessions. So uh, if we knew, if we knew the date and the time, most of the church would go do nothing until the week before. We'd go live like the devil. And repent at the last minute. That's flesh. Oh, I got 15 more years. Go do my own thing. And the church wouldn't grow, except for those that were really serious about Jesus. A little bit of mystery helps us to be watchful. A little bit of mystery helps us. I think the Lord's trying to give us all the help that we need, because we need a lot of help. Amen. Even the apostles of the day on the day of Jesus' ascension knew nothing about the church age. It was still a mystery. They were looking for the millennial reign to start then. There are still times and seasons we are not able to know because the Father has put them in His own power. And so we need to be mindful of that and and, uh, just say, Hey, Lord, I don't have to know it all. And if I did, I'd be God and I'd be doing a horrible job at it. But notice this, Jesus did hint at the salvation of the Gentiles, John 10, 16. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, which is Israel. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. There shall be one fold and one shepherd. Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew about the church age. He knew all nations must be given the chance to receive his salvation. You see in Isaiah 56, 8, you can look it up on your own. It was prophesied there that he would draw others of another nation that were not a nation. Daniel 9.26, we'll look at this verse because this is the hub of our prophecy study. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And then I've added this. The church age has been interjected here between Messiah being cut off and the prince of the world destroying. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with the flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. Or as the NIV puts it, and unto the end of time, wars shall come and not stop. Uh, so that kind of lets us know we're not going to avoid war. And unlike the hippies, uh, hippies are against war, but uh, God's not. That always, I God is not against war. He's going to wage one massive one when it's all said and done, and he's going to win the thing. Plus, the psalmist said, Blessed be the Lord God that teaches my hands to wage war and my fingers to fight. 
The psalmist said that by the Holy Ghost. The Lord teaches my hands to wage war. Plus there was a war in the heavenlies and Michael and his angels fought against Lucifer and his. God's not against war. And they're determined until the end of time. Even in Daniel's core prophecy, he did not see the church age. This is because God was only dealing with him about thy people and thy holy city. Daniel 9.26 jumps from Jesus' crucifixion to the Antichrist's reign and skips over 2,000 years of the church age. All right? So to understand this, let's go over God's time clocks again. God's time clocks. When the church was born, I'm saying here on the day of Pentecost, Jewish time stopped and the dispensation of grace began. All right? When Jewish time stopped, that stopped at the end of Daniel's 69th week. Acts 2 declares on the, on the specific feast of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost was fully come or fulfilled. Pentecost was a Jewish holiday, and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost on those early believers was the fulfilling of the feast. This was the last event on the Jewish clock before time stopped at the end of the 69th week. The church was born, and church time began. Jewish time was put on hold. When the church is taken out of the earth in the rapture, Jewish time will resume and Daniel's last week of time, or seven years, will play out. That period of time is also called Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Alas, this is the best part, we are not Jacob. Therefore, it's not our problem. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged. We are, not, we are the church and we will not be here. Praise God for that. We've not been appointed under wrath. We're not Jacob. We're the church. And the last seven years is called Jacob's trouble. And it is a hellacious time, literally, of hell on earth, of both the Antichrist because he knows his time is short and God because he's put out with the pagan heathen world. And he's got all these bowls and all these trumpets and all these scrolls of judgment. And he just keeps opening one after the other. You're going to repent? And it's just like Egypt all over again. Will you repent? And it says, and they mock the God of Israel. Will you repent? And he opens up another vial of judgment. And they mock the God of Israel. Will you repent? And just like Pharaoh, they just harden their heart more and more and more. And then you hit the midway point and it gets even worse. But we'll study that in the weeks ahead. We do have five, four minutes. What questions do you have? I saw, Greg, you were writing something down. Was that a question? No, sir. We have any questions so far? Are we understanding? Dr. James. In the millennial reign, the rule... We know that Jesus Christ, that's the kingdom that they're looking for, returning it to Israel. And what everybody agrees on, uh, of course, it says he will rule with a rod of iron or a scepter of iron, which means there will be no sin. It's not a rod of mercy. There will be no sin. And people will be born. And because Satan and his legions will be bound for that thousand years, there'll be no sin. There'll be no death. There'll be no destruction, no decay, no famine. Everything will continue as it should. But man will still have a will. And but when they want to rebel, the Lord will thump them, in a sense, through the rod of iron. We'll be ruling, if we're faithful in this dispensation, we'll be set over kingdoms and nations and cities. The Gospels and the Revelation very clearly spell that, especially Revelations 2 and 3, where it says, And they that overcome shall rule with me in my kingdom. And we see the parables in the, in the Gospels that talk about you're faithful over one talent, I give you one city. You're faithful over five, I give you five cities. You're faithful over ten, I give you ten cities. And so we see that the church is being trained up to rule with Christ, our Savior, in his kingdom. And so there'll be people under us that are, number one, born again through the tribulation and make it through the tribulation, but don't have glorified bodies. 
and those that weren't born again but made it through the tribulation and those that are born again during the millennial reign and aren't born again yet. So you'll have several classes of people living in the millennial. I will cover that. Yeah. Yeah. What we're building is I'm trying to, because I'm taking this as though some of us have never heard anything about any of this, I've got to back it up and take it much slower to talk about the church. Because even we have a part two to the church age and it shows some more things because if we understand the heart of God and how he works, how he takes his time, he's not impatient with anything, then we're not chomping at the bit to hurt and get out of here and get to the millennial reign. No, you got to just chill and just enjoy every bit of life uh, because there'll come a time when you'll be 85 years old and you will have had your fill and you'll be ready to go. And so, uh, yeah, we're going to cover the millennial reign. Uh, I'm thinking about maybe just doing Revelation as a whole nother study, but we'll cover the millennial reign in this. Like as far as the, uh, the book of Revelation, we won't have time in just a study on general eschatology. Talk about the 24 elders, the two witnesses, the 144,000, the different raptures that take place in the Revelation, the seven bowl tr- uh, judgments, the seven trumpet judgments, the seven seals off the scroll. All this stuff, the beast, the harlot, the man-child, the woman, the crowns, the horns. We won't have time to cover all that. That's going to have to be just a revelation study on its own that I may start working on. This will be general eschatology, but we do have to conclude the millennial reign. And so we will look at that and cover it. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that, that, we're going to cover that, we'll then you don't have to ask the question. We're just in the three lessons. I told you this might be a 12-lesson class. <laughs> it might be 16. It might just happen until Jesus comes back or I get tired of studying it. (laughs) Right now, eschatology is my hobby. And I I stay up and I read eschatology and I get up and I read eschatology and I get online and I research eschatology. And then I talk to Pastor Cuoco and ask Dr. Barclay his question, what he thinks. uh, So it's my hobby right now. And I'm I'm about done with my hobby. I've learned all I want to know for now. And I'm ready to write it all out and teach it and see where it goes. What are the questions? We have about another minute. Brother Robert. You say uh, Daniel 70 weeks has not come to pass, but the last week is put on hold. Where, where do we see the 490 be put back in there? That's the rapture. When the rapture happens, that last week is the seven years of tribulation. But where's the, you said the 490, the 70 weeks is put on hold. The 70th week. You've got 69 weeks 69 weeks have been fulfilled. The 69th week was fulfilled with Messiah the Prince being cut off. So he was crucified. That's him being cut off. But when the church was born, that 70th week or seven years, a week is, like we said, week is not a good interpretation. It's 70 or it's a period of seven. It could be days, weeks, months, or years. We understand it to mean years. So that 70th chunk of seven was put on hold. That 70th chunk of seven, seven years, that is the tribulation. That will begin. And here's another thing that the theologians are a little disagreeing on. I think we covered it last week. Most of them agree that the, the, the Daniel's 70th week begins when the Antichrist signs a peace contract with Israel. But there's nothing that says that happens the day we're raptured. There's nothing that lets us know the moment we're raptured Israel has a peace agreement with the Antichrist. And so what one author just said is maybe it's a couple weeks, maybe it's a couple months. There has to be a peace agreement with Israel because there's chaos. Now, maybe the chaos is because the church is gone. 
Maybe the chaos is. And one of the things I just asked Dr. Barclay, I said, is there any prophecy that you know of that has not come to pass before the rapture? He said, yeah, I can think of two or three. And one of them was everybody has to gather against Israel and begin to fight them. That would set the stage for a peace agreement to buy Israel peace because Israel has to have peace and have a land agreement to be able to rebuild their temple. They have no temple right now. Because after the three and a half year of the Antichrist reign, he's a political figure, he goes in and desecrates the temple. There's no temple right now. So there has to be a peace agreement that buys them peace from all the surrounding enemies. And right now, everybody around them hates them. And that buys them peace to build a temple. Because it also gets the land back from the Muslims. Because right now, the Muslims have the, the, the Dome of the Rock and the Temple Mount, most of it anyway. And right now, they're not able to build their temple. So there has to come about something that necessitates a peace treaty. And everybody agrees that the Antichrist will be a political leader that is kind of bringing all the world powers together. And, but the thing that we don't know is from the time of the rapture to the time of that peace agreement, how many years, how many weeks, how many months? Just like from the time Jesus Christ was raised from the dead till the time the Holy Ghost came was 50 days. So did the church start, like we said last week, did the church start when he was raised from the dead? Did the church start when he breathed on them or said, receive you the Holy Ghost? Or did the church start on the day of Pentecost? Ah, it's a gray area. You know, you just... And so once the church is raptured, how long? Or may, maybe, maybe it's only a matter of weeks because there's war going on when we're raptured. So I, does that, that answer your question? And Roy, you look like you have a question. Last one. You are talking about God's time clocks. Is there, any, is there anything in Scripture that, that, uh, that confirms that there was this 2,000-year intermission? Um, no, no. So is that just, we're just, it's a speculation because it's apparent that's what's going on right now? Is that there's, there's this church age? And uh, is there anything else that says, hey, when will this church age end? There, there's nothing that says when this church age will end because that's part of the times and the seasons that the Father has put in His own power. We see there's nobody knew how long the church would last because it was all hidden. Those, all these verses just confirm that. It was a mystery. It was hidden. It was a mystery. It was hidden. And so one thing we know for sure, this is definitely the longest dispensation because it shows the mercy of God. Just like Methuselah lived longer than anybody on the planet because his name meant after this one dies, the judgment comes. He died and Noah's flood happened. So the church age is the longest dispensation, 2,000 plus years. Moses' dispensation was only about 1,450 or 80 years. So even it was shorter than ours by 600 years or roughly 25% because this is the dispensation of grace and God is not willing that any should perish. And things have to be set in place for the scriptures to be fulfilled. So there's nothing that tells us how long the church age is going to last. Nothing at all. But we do have hints that the Bible says after two days will he revive us. On the third day he will raise us up. We're in the third day. We're, a day is a thousand years, a thousand years as a day. We're in the third day. Yes, sir. Um, I've seen it interpreted with the uh, thousand years being a day, a thousand years, and they started from there and said, okay, this is, this is, we're going to use this time frame and then go back into the 70 weeks of Daniel, and then they added the whole dispensation of grace in with that seamlessly. Yeah. Um, is there is a, and I've seen the seventh day Adventists do that. So there's flaws in that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You have to take in mind, we, we don't know all of this. The Seventh-day Adventists, they get pretty kooky with their eschatology. Really kooky. Thank God they're born again, but they're really kooky because they still live under the law too. We're not under the law. We're church. The law doesn't kick back until we're gone. So that right there proves we don't have to worry about sacrifices or Saturdays or pork or going to bed early on Friday night. Come on. 
So, yeah, that, that's a long discussion right there. But the best we have is after two days will he revive us and the third day he will raise us up. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead early on the third day. We're early in the third day. His was still dark. Ours is still dark. So there, there's, there's allegory there, but you don't build doctrine on allegory or typology. You build doctrine on certain scriptures. We, we've gone over five minutes. Uh, hold more questions. We'll conclude the church and its inclusion and conclusion next week. We'll start talking about the rapture because that's eschatology. The rapture is eschatology. It's future tense. Some of you may think you know something about the rapture. I'll probably prove that you don't. So just keep coming. We'll keep studying this. We'll get into the, some of the stuff you maybe have never heard before. Just bear with us. Appreciate you guys.